all. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You are tuning in with PD Coalition. We are a nonprofit organization dedicated to the reduction of sexual assault, family violence, child abuse, and to the needs of its victims. My name is Adriel Cooper. I'm the volunteer coordinator for Winsboro County, and I'm so excited because I'm your host for today, and this is the launch of our very first episode. We're super excited to be beginning this new adventure, and I want to say thank you all for taking the time out of your busy schedules to tune in to us, and also for being some of our very first listeners. Give yourself a pat on the back. Yay! So let's get down to it. Today, I'm going to be talking about domestic violence among millennials and healthy relationships. One of the reasons I chose this topic is because, for one, it's very important to me because I'm a millennial. And two, October is National Domestic Violence Awareness Month. So for many, home is a place of love, warmth, and comfort. It's somewhere that you know that you'll be surrounded by care, support, and it offers you that safe place where you can go home and relax and just get away from work or your everyday life and business. But for millions of others, home is anything but a sanctuary. The U.S. Department of Justice estimated that 1.3 million women and 835,000 men are victims of physical violence by a partner every year. So every nine seconds, a woman in the U.S. is beaten or assaulted by a current or ex-significant other. One in four men are victims of some form of physical violence by an intimate partner. So I know that's a lot to take in. So Let's dig in a little deeper with that to give you a scope of what it looks like on a grand scale of things. So the number of U.S. troops killed in Afghanistan and Iraq between 2001 and 2012 is approximately 6,488. The number of women who were murdered by current or ex-male partners during the same time frame is approximately 11,766, according to the the Huffington Post. This amount doubles the number of people who were killed fighting in the war. So before I get any further, I want to give you some background information, some history of how Domestic Violence Awareness Month came about. So initially, it was known as the Day of Unity, which was held in October of the year of 1981. And it was conceived by the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. The Day of Unity soon evolved into a week. And then on the year of October of 1987, the first National Domestic Violence Awareness Month was adopted. By Congress in 1989, they passed a public law, 101-112, officially designing October as National Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And to celebrate and to bring awareness, we wear purple ribbons, we post, you may see purple banners and volunteers handing out ribbons and 
just a lot of purple. And it's to bring awareness to domestic violence. And the reason I wanted to talk about domestic violence is because among millennials, it seems to be so normalized and we oftentimes don't call it what it is. You'll, I hear a lot of people my age saying, calling it toxic relationships. Oh, he's toxic or she's toxic. Well, what does toxic mean? Toxic in this day and age, it's someone who's bad or they know of the, they're aware of the, the manipulative behavior that they display towards an intimate partner. Well, that sounds like to me domestic violence. So to get a better understanding of things, to see where exactly people were at, especially in my age group, I took to Twitter and Instagram and I posted a poll and asked a few questions. And before I give the answers, I want you all to take a second and think about what are some of your own answers that you that you think are correct with some of these questions. So for the first question, I asked, uh, what age group? do you think is affected most by domestic violence? And the options were 25 and younger, 30 to 45, 50 to 65. Well, what do some of you think? And the results, the results came from 12 people. It said that Three people voted 25 and younger. Six people voted 30 between 45. And then three people voted 50 between 65. The next question, do you think DV is as common as it is portrayed on TV, music, and mainstream media? Well... The people who participated in the poll said that it's 50-50. They split between yes and no. The next question is, is there only one type of abuse? True or false? 75% said that it was false. And... Looking back at that, I want to go ahead and give you some official stats to help you all get a better understanding and give you the correct answer of those questions. So intimate partner violence is most common against women between the ages of 18 to 24. 23% of women and 14% of men have experienced severe physical violence that includes beating, birding, strangulation by a boyfriend, girlfriend during their lifetime. After experiencing violence, after experiencing violence, 52% of female victims and 17% of male victims show PTSD symptoms. So now that you have that information, do you all necessarily think that it correlated with what the people who responded on the poll. 
And that's one of the reasons why I want to talk about domestic violence and healthy relationships among millennials, because it's so normalized, especially in media. You turn on your TV, it's there as a form of entertainment. It's there in the music. And people just think it's okay. Like, that's what comes with love. But they don't see it as something serious. I know that I've spoken to a few people my age and they've all said DV, like really bad domestic violence is something that, you know, oh, their grandparents experience, but they don't consider their relationship to be bad. It, it may be toxic at times, but it's never bad. Well, what is bad? What is toxic? And then that's when I ask them, well, what is your definition of domestic violence? You know, do you only see it as someone beating on you physically? Because that's not what domestic violence is just about. It's to me, the domestic violence is like about power and control. There are many forms of partner abuse. So here are a few examples um, using intimidation giving threatening looks, gestures, actions, someone bawling their fists up at you and pointing towards their eyes, smashing things, putting a hole in a wall, uh, scratching your car up with their keys, displaying weapons, pulling out a knife or a gun, hitting pets. And it's also using emotional abuse, putting you down, calling you names, making you think that you're crazy, using guilt trips. Well, if you did, if you didn't say that, then I wouldn't have done this. This is your fault. It's isolation, controlling you, what you do, where you go, who you see, who you get to talk to. Oh, you can't talk to your friends anymore because they're they're a bad influence. I don't like the way that you you begin to act. You start to think for yourself. So I can't have that. I have to get you by yourself. It's limiting your interactions outside. Oh, I only want you to go to work and then come back home. It's minimizing and denying and blaming, making light of the abuse, saying the abuse didn't happen. Oh, you brought it on to yourself. And then sometimes abusers reuse the children. They'll guilt trip you about your children. Oh, I want you to spend more time with them. That's why I do this. It's using kids to relay messages. It's using visitation to harass you. I want to see my kids, but I want you to bring them. And I want to see them four times a week. So I want to see you bringing them to my house four times a week. And then we don't talk a lot about this, but it's also male privilege. And domestic violence isn't specific to a gender, but women experience higher rates of domestic violence. So when it comes to male privilege, it's being treated like a servant and making all the big decisions alone, the male partner will come in and, hey, I bought a house that's 10 hours away from your family and your friends, but I'm the man, and I say this is where we're going to live. It's defining men and women's roles alone without consulting your significant other. It's, oh, I I get to tell you what to do. It's your job to take care of the kids, cook and clean and do whatever I say. It's also abuse can look like economics. It's preventing you from getting to work, keeping a job, 
having to ask for money or just giving you an allowance saying this is all you get the rest is mine or I'm putting it away in savings it's using corrosion it and threats it's making threats or carrying them out that's when they physically begin to hit hurt you it's threatening to leave or commit suicide I can't live without you and oftentimes I've seen this a lot of millennials posted on social media of when they break up with a guy after they've cheated or girls too they be like oh I can't live without you if you leave me I'm going to kill myself it's oh please don't everyone else has already left me I knew you were leaving me too that's fine I have no one else and all of those things are abuse and millennials don't necessarily see that as abuse Once again, they call it being toxic. And I think to bring awareness to the issue and to establish the severity of domestic violence, you need to call it exactly what it is. And all those different examples of domestic violence that I've listed of intimidation and economic abuse and using children and privilege, all those things fall under domestic violence. It's not being toxic. It's not, oh, he really, really loves me. You are seriously in danger. So now that I've discussed what domestic violence can look like, it's now what what does an abuser look like? You know, I talked to some people on Twitter. I did another poll and I posted two pictures of one guy of a biker suit and another guy. And I asked which one was the abuser. And then I did the same with a woman. I posted a regular picture of a girl and then another one screaming and asked which one looks like the abuser. Well, most everyone said that the guy in the leather jacket looked like the abuser and the woman that was screaming looked like the abuser as well. Well, that's not necessarily true. You know, an abuser can look like anyone and look like me or you. There's no specific look or type. It's not always the bad boy or the, the girl that everybody thinks is crazy. It could also be the girl next door. It could be the good guy. To give you an example, um, there's this show called Gossip Girl. And one of the main characters, his name is Dan Humphrey. Dan Humphrey, he was labeled as the good guy. The good guy, he wouldn't do anything. You know, he's very sweet. He's very polite to people. He's a good student showed up to class. He had a very hard uh, work ethic. And he was pursuing this girl that he was in love with for years. And through the entire show, there was someone who had a blog called Gossip Girl, and they would post really mean things. Well, at the end of the show, they found out that It was Dan Humphrey, the really good guy, the guy next door, who was the one running the site. 
But yet he was using the site and posting really mean things about the girl that he was dating and the one that he said he was in love with. And he was also posting things about his friends that were really mean. That is abuse. And that's a prime example that, you know, domestic violence doesn't have a specific look. It doesn't come in a very tight knit package. It can come in any shape and form. And if you find yourself in domestic violence, you know, don't normalize it and be like, oh, ha, 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 yeah, he loves me. No. Take it very serious if you see the warning signs, if you see any of those things beginning to occur in your relationship. And take the time to talk about it. Or if you see that it's becoming very severe, then create a safety plan on how to leave. So a safety plan is a personal plan that's practical to improve your safety while experiencing abuse, preparing to leave an abusive situation, or after you leave. This plan includes information tailored to your specific, unique situation to help you prepare you for, to prepare you, and to help you respond to different scenarios, including telling your friends and family about your situation coping with emotions and various resources suited to your individual circumstances. Some of the preparation for a safety plan might seem obvious, but we can sometimes you find it hard to think clearly or make logical decisions during a moment of crisis. And having a safety plan, that'll help you protect yourself and others in a high-stress situation. So on your safety plan, you may think, okay, well... I know I have medications, so I'm going to keep my medication. I'm going to keep a travel-sized pill bag and a book bag in a closet with underwear, change of clothes for when I need to make a break for it. And I'm going to keep it in the back of the closet. Or I'm going to have a emergency contact book of all the important people that I want to contact for once I leave. And I have to leave my cell phone behind. It's different things like that. That's where a safety plan, a safety plan is important. And now that we've discussed safety plans and the importance of those, it's also knowing what a healthy and an unhealthy relationship looks like. So all those things that I stated before, those are examples on of unhealthy relationships. And what I want people my age to get out of this and anyone, and everyone else who's listening, it really doesn't matter about your age, is I want you to know how to have an emo- how to have a healthy relationship. So that means setting emotional boundaries, physical boundaries. It's digital boundaries and how to have conflict resolution. So when it comes to emotional boundaries, they're an important part of making sure that you feel safe and comfortable in your relationship. Trusting someone means you think that you're that you're able to talk to them about anything and that you can trust them, that they're reliable. You have confidence in them and you feel safe with them physically, emotionally. And that's where real trust comes in. And that's very key and important to having a a healthy and safe relationship. It's setting physical boundaries. It's respecting 
having respect for physical boundaries and understanding that your interactions with another person doesn't always have to be physical. You have to ask for permission to hold their hand if you want to kiss them, different things like that. And remember, sex isn't currency. You don't owe your partner anything. And it isn't fair for them to claim that you don't care about them if you don't have sex with them. That's a red flag. It's finding the right way to have a conversation about about the issue. It's always best to try and talk face-to-face. Don't attack each other. Be honest. And be aware of your own body language. And then also another thing that seems to work is using the 48-hour rule. If you find you and your partner are in a heated argument and it's escalating very quickly, walk away. Give yourself up to 48 hours to cool off and then, then you guys can come back and have a more calmer conversation. It's setting digital boundaries. Many people, millennials, especially millennials and Gen Z, they they don't respect digital boundaries. It's, can I check your phone? Let me look at it. We're always checking your location. It's seeing, oh, did he post on Snapchat or did she post on Instagram? Did you see her tweet? It's the line between healthy and unhealthy relationships that can get confusing once a relationship goes online. It's not always clear what your digital relationship should look like, and different people can decide on different terms of their arrangements. Like, here are examples of different questions you should ask your significant other. Is it okay to tag you in posts or check in places together? Do we post our relationship status publicly? Is it okay to follow or friend other people in my life? What are the expectations for communication through texting or social media? Is it okay if I message people or if I comment other under other people's Instagram posts? Is it okay to post our relationship on Twitter, Snapchat, and everything? Are you comfortable with those type of things? And those are the type of things that a lot of people don't necessarily ask and they assume. And that's when things begin to escalate. There are many times people are like, I don't want to be on social media or I don't want you posting a lot because I like to keep things private and I believe in modesty. It's finding a resolution and learning how to control your reaction because social media is a huge part in our generation and it's also, it can be dangerous. In relationships, you should know how to use conflict resolution. You know, conflicts are going to rise in all relationships. Not every argument or every misunderstanding is necessarily toxic or leads to domestic violence. People disagree sometimes, and that isn't necessarily a bad thing. You have the right to have a different opinion from your parents, your partners. What's important to you is you communicate effectively and in the healthy way that allows you to understand each other better and make your relationship stronger. Now, it's also important that we take the time to realize who we are as 
people and to know exactly what it is that we're looking for. So if someone is doing something that makes you feel uncomfortable or their restriction makes you unhappy, you also have to be willing to walk away if it's just not working and understand that, you know, sometimes relationships just don't work. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you won't find the person that you're meant to be with. It's also looking at your anger. If you're that person who finds yourself angry after a breakup and you're thinking negative thoughts of things that you want to do or you're going to follow, you want to follow your your ex-boyfriend because you think he's dating someone else, is being responsible for, responsible for your own feelings. And that's okay if you have those feelings. It's when you begin to act on those that becomes dangerous to yourself and others. If you have those feelings, feel free to reach out to someone, talk to you, someone you trust, contact a counselor, call a hotline, whatever it is that you need to do. Because domestic violence... It's an unnecessary crime. And I want to take this time to say thank you all once again for listening. If there are any questions that you have or any statements, please feel free to comment, like, subscribe. And I hope that you find something enjoyable while you are listening, and also follow us on Facebook. Follow our PD Coalition page and also Legacy PDC. And always remember, domestic violence is never, never the answer. And to support domestic violence, remember to wear your purple ribbons, your T-shirts, listen to survivors, Share your story if you are a survivor. Share a poster with information. You can find those on our social media and our websites as well. And also volunteer your local organization. I know here at PD Coalition, we're always excited to have new volunteers. And if you find yourself needing assistance, please call our hotline 1-800-273-1820. We have 24-hour confidential assistance. Once again, thank you for tuning in. Hello, thank you everyone for tuning back in to another episode of our podcast. Uh, For all of you who do not know, we are PD Coalition. My name is Adriel Cooper. I'm the volunteer coordinator for Williamsburg County. PD Coalition is a nonprofit volunteer organization dedicated to the reduction of sexual assault family violence, and child abuse into the needs of his victims. For today's episode, we have a guest with us today. Her name is Madeline Ard, and she is Miss Clemson USA of 2021. Uh, Madeline, can you give us a brief introduction on yourself and uh, tell us what you're going to talk about for today? I'm Madeline R. Miss Clemson USA, like she said, and today I'll be talking about domestic violence and my story with domestic violence and my platform for Miss Clemson USA. 
First and foremost, I would like to say thank you. Thank you for allowing me to speak to you, and thank you for your time. Time is very valuable, and it is in no way my intention to waste yours. I am honored to have been given the opportunity to share my vision with you. Before I can interest you in my cause for communicating with you, I want to tell you a little bit about myself so that you can get a better understanding of who I am and not just the title I hold. I urge you to know when it comes to who I am, what you see is what you get. I have never been one to pretend to be something I am not. People who know me personally will tell you I say what I mean and I mean what I say. They will also tell you that Madeline will tell you exactly how she feels without hesitation and that I'm honest about it, so let me be honest with you. The truth is, I'm only 22 years old, so I'm still learning who I am. Some people may see me and assume I have it all figured out, but I do not and I'm okay with that because I do not think we are meant to know everything at once. I think such knowledge is obtained little by little as we continue to grow. What I do know is that I am human, just like each and every one of you. I am not perfect, I make mistakes, and I have failed many times, but at the same time, I can say that I am open-minded, I am a survivor, and I am confident in who I am and what I have to offer. I will never agree with, with society's presumption that who we are and how we are judged is determined by our race, sexuality, gender, status, culture, religion, political views, or fortune. Who we are should be solely based on our individual character and the choices we make. I believe great character means you carry the qualities of trustworthiness, respect, responsibility, fairness, compassion, and citizenship. Our existence would be featureless if God had made all humans identical. The distinction between each individual should be embraced with open arms and each person should be identified by their capability of proving to contain respective character. I declare that respect is the most significant quality of character in my opinion. I deeply trust that respect is earned if given. I hope to earn your respect and receive your support and helping hand as I tell you my motivation for speaking to you and sharing personal matters. Very bluntly, I will say it is simple, I need you. You're probably wondering, why should I need you? Why should it concern you? How do my plans and vision relate to you? And what would be the benefits of working together as a team to meet those set goals? I'm going to share my story with you and educate you on the why and how, as well as the goals I've already met, the goals I'm currently working towards, and plans I have made. It is my passion to inspire you with my message and my purpose to serve others by following my passion. Because I recently earned the title of Miss Clemson USA, I will be competing for the title of Miss South Carolina USA in March of 2021. I am pleased to inform you that although the USA pageant system does not require contestants to have a platform, I have decided to take advantage of this freedom to use my voice and to make a meaningful difference. I've created a platform called Love Is Not in order to promote domestic violence awareness. Why did I create a platform when it was not needed? Why did I choose this specific platform when there are so many to choose from? 
About a year ago, I began to be mentored by a very wise man who has literally changed my life and changed my mindset. Before meeting with him for the first time, I was expecting him to be like other pageant coaches I had trained with before, but Lord, was I wrong. I was told he was very good at what he does, but I had no idea how huge of a blessing he was going to be in my life. This man is in his 70s, the perfect example of a Christian, and the smartest person I've ever met. He is still currently my mentor, and I hate to break it to him, but he is going to have to deal with me for a long time because I'm not going anywhere. I tell him every time I see him that he is my guardian angel because I know in my heart God sent him to me. The first time we trained together, he asked me, what is your purpose, what is your passion, and what does it mean to have a servant's heart? I looked at him like he was crazy because at the time I had no idea how to answer those questions and was not even really familiar with what they meant. I was thinking, really, man, we just met two minutes ago and you pull this. I was speechless. He saw that I did not have a lot of confidence and saw that I was battling with depression and anxiety, did not love myself, was heartbroken and a mess. For a few weeks, he stayed very patient with me as I tried to avoid opening up to him. Needless to say, I was not a big fan of talking about my feelings and letting very many people in. Didn't face him though. He kept, punch, he kept pushing until one day, I finally gave in and asked, how do you figure out what your purpose and passions are? Because honestly, I have no idea how, and no, I've never even heard of a servant's heart. He looked at me with relief because he realized that I was finally going to let him help me and stop being so stubborn. He smiled and said, darling, your purpose is to serve. The purpose of human life is to serve and to show compassion and the will to help others. Having a servant's heart means understanding that it is not about you. It is about how you can serve others. He taught me that the measure of a woman's greatness is not the number of servants she has, but in the number of people she serves. The fact that I hold the title of Miss Clemson USA and that I will be competing for Miss South Carolina USA gained a, new, a whole new meaning to me. I see now that pageants are about so much more than crowns, trophies, fame, and personal gain. I see an opportunity to serve a purpose and inspire people with a vision for the future. In order for me to create a platform, find my true passions in a way I could serve others, I knew it had to be related to events and things in my life that have shaped me into the woman that I am. My mentor challenged me to face my demons and trauma so that I could see the positives in what I have personally experienced and so I could turn my pain and struggles into what drives me to get out of bed every morning. I feared sharing my experience because before I met my mentor, I remember believing that what I went through was to blame for making me bitter, making me envious of others who had not experienced situations like I had, making me believe I was unlovable, settling for less than I deserved, pursuing men I knew did not truly care for me, because I thought it was easier, not knowing how to love, acting in selfish ways, and becoming someone I did not even recognize. 
I'm going to share my story and then I'm going to tell you how it is now currently the number one experience I'm thankful for. Here's where it is going to get really personal and dark, but I promise there's a lot of light at the end of the tunnel, so just bear with me. My platform, Love Is Not, gets its name in remembrance of my childhood. My father showed me every day what love is not. He is a CEO and having no earthly idea of what love is. In fact, he could write a book and name it Tips on How to Show Your Children That You Did Not In Fact Want Children and how to make sure your wife not only leaves you, but leaves you and takes the children with her when she goes. Best seller, I guarantee it. I watched my father abuse my mother over and over again in every way you would define abuse. Seeing her on the floor, finding her hidden in her closet where she would go to hide her suffering from us. Watching her cry and worrying of her safety was all I knew. My siblings and I were unfortunately too young to know the correct actions to take in our situation. I remember just wanting to help her and protect her and feeling as though I failed her for being unable to. We were helpless. My siblings and I would wake up in the middle of the night many times to the sounds of screams and things being broken. Living in fear every day is like having a nightmare on repeat. We feared what was going to happen next and we were continuously nervous about the moment he would walk through the door. His severity of the abuse depended on whether he had consumed liquor or beer. If he chose beer, the abuse was very verbal and mental until he would pass out on the couch. If he chose liquor, my mother suffered through physical and mental abuse for the majority of the night, sometimes sexual too, depending on how angry he was. When it was liquor, she would try her best to keep us in our rooms, but no matter how disturbing it was, he would at least not hurt her as bad as if he knew one of us was watching. I found my share of hiding places in the house where I was able to at least hear my mother's voice and sometimes peep through cracks to see if she was okay. I get told at times that I can be so quiet you do not notice that I'm there. So I guess I mastered that from practicing so often as a child. I also was very shy and did not say much at all or talk very quietly as a young girl because I was scared. Scared how he would react and treat me. He would make fun of me for talking so low and slowly and try to bully me into changing my tone of voice. He would laugh at me and ask my mother what was wrong with me because he said I was weird for not saying much. He was oblivious to the fact that my shyness and nervousness and quiet voice was because I was terrified to do so much as flinch the wrong way when he was in my presence. I do not know how he would expect a little girl to behave when she constantly feels unsafe. I remember the night my mother decided she had had enough and it was time for us to escape this nightmare. I was six years old, but I remember every detail of that night vividly because it was the first night I felt hope and knew things were going to change. My mother reached out to friends and family she knew could help her until she got back on her feet. We stayed in a, a family friend's home at first. My mom would load all of us into her minivan most nights with our blankets and pillows and take a drive 
because of his threats and attempts to find us. She would play music for us to listen to, and she is the reason one of my favorite songs is Blues Man by Alan Jackson. She played that one a lot when we would take our drives. As a single mother of four, she managed to move us into a two-story home, pay the bills on her own work, and take care of us all by herself. My mother demonstrates what it means to survive through our struggles and fight to survive. My siblings and I grew very close and developed relationships that are unmatchable. Our mother is our greatest role model and all four of us still cannot fathom how she survived. She loved us enough to take us out of his hell for good. The only way from there was up. By the time we grew, healed, and welcomed a new man into our lives to take his place long ago. As I said, this experience is the number one I'm thankful for. The last words I remember my father saying to me stuck with me for years. He said, you're going to need me before I need you. Those words were spoken to me the last time I saw him, 10 years ago. I never realized what those words meant to me until now. I'd like to say, happy 10 years and counting. I think you are absolutely right. I did need you. I needed you to be exactly who you were. I needed you to fail miserably at being a parent because my real father came into my life and filled the shoes you were too weak and incapable of filling. I needed you to be less of a man so that the father I have now could show me what a real father looks like. You proved that blood does not make you a father. A father is loving, protective, and leads by example. You were not able to do any of those, and that's okay because I do not believe you were ever meant to fill those shoes. He was. So I'd like to say thank you for contributing to that. Thank you for showing me the ugly in the world so that I can truly appreciate the beautiful. Thank you for being an example of what I will never aspire to be. If I can blame you for it, for my pain, then I also have to blame you for shaping me into the woman that I am. All is forgiven, and every time I pray, I pray for your well-being and pray that you know love at least once in your lifetime. I still battle with damages from my childhood, but without my experience, I would not know how to survive in a world that is so scary. I would not see the darkness this life is capable of having. I would not have personality and views I have. I would not have the ability to empathize with others as well as I do. I would not know the difference between what love is and what it is not, nor would I feel so passionate about sharing the difference with people. I would be weak. I understand now that life does not happen to you, it happens for you. Your hardships happen for you to learn and grow into who you are meant to be. My pain became my friend. My disappointments and struggles gave me strength and courage. I may not have a say-so in what happens to me, but I have a say-so in what I do about it. I made a choice not to let my experience defeat me and to use it to motivate people in understanding the purpose it blessed me with. My encounters with domestic violence gave me the tools to teach the facts of the cause and what not to look for in love. I also gained the privilege of speaking for survivors like my mother and presenting proof that there is a way out. As Ms. Clerks in USA, I write re weekly articles about 
domestic violence for the King Street newspaper to enlighten my community on the cause. I promote my platform and I recently had the honor of becoming a volunteer and advocate for Safe Harbor, a shelter for women and children. If given the title of Miss South Carolina USA in March of 2021, I will be moving on to Miss USA where I will represent a state which ranks sixth worst state in the nation for domestic violence. I care desperately about my leadership because it holds the purpose of developing less violent and more loving future generations. If we share the same goal, our children will not confuse abuse with love. Together, we must first recognize the problem. Domestic violence is any violent or abusive behavior by one person against another. It is an active issue in South Carolina, as well as every state and country worldwide that is damaging and life-threatening to you and I, our brothers and sisters, children, neighbors, friends, families, loved ones, and overall well-being of our communities. It does not favor or single out any specific skin color, background, age, or economy. Domestic abuse can surface in any form, any location, and to any person. Forms of, of abuse include sexual, emotional, physical, and financial. The abuser uses fear, guilt, shame, and intimidation in attempts to control you. Domestic abuse destroys your self-worth and independence. Abusive behaviors will show dominance, humiliation, isolation, threats, denial, and blame. Victims of this abuse can be affected physically, mentally, and emotionally. Physical effects are bruises, broken bones, shortness of breath, muscle tension, changes in eating and sleeping patterns, fertility issues in women, and involuntary shaking. Mental effects are PTSD, depression, anxiety, low self-esteem, suicidal thoughts or attempts, and alcohol and drug abuse. Emotional effects are hopelessness, discouragement, feeling unworthy and unmotivated, questioning faith and unable to trust. Children who are affected from witnessing domestic violence, as my siblings and I did, can face developmental, behavioral, and academic problems anxiety, depression, and fear. Effects can be short-term or long-term. With that being said, it is essential to know the correct meaning of love. If you do not remember anything that I have said so far, please remember what love should be and what it truly means. One of my favorite actors and motivational speakers, Will Smith, says love should be the relationship that a gardener has with a flower. The gardener wants the flower to be what the flower is designed to be, not what the gardener wants the flower to be. You want the flower to bloom and to blossom and to become what it wants to be. You want it to become what God designed it to be. You're not demanding that it become what you need it to be for your ego. Anything other than all your gifts wide open, giving and nourishing this flower into their greatness is not love. Love is help. Love is devotion to their struggle. It's when you're committed to helping somebody with their life, helping them to suffer, suffer less, helping them to manage their minds and emotions. 
Love is a deep desire for our loved ones' growth and well-being. When you love somebody, you want them to feel good. You want them to be happy. Thank you. Thank you, Madeline, for sharing your story with us. And all the viewers and listeners out there, we hope that what Madeline has said has given you some kind of insight of what happens with domestic violence. And that domestic violence doesn't just affect the person that has happened to, but to the family and friends as well. If you or if anyone you know are interested, are in need of assistance, call our hotline 1-800-273-1820 for 24-hour confidential assistance. And if you're interested in getting involved and want to donate or volunteer, also feel free to reach out to us. And follow us on Facebook at PD Coalition Against Domestic Violence and Sexual Assault. To keep up to date with everything in Williamsburg County, follow us on our Legacy PDC page as well on Facebook. Thank you for tuning in. And once again, thank you to Madeline for being our guest today. And if you see something, say something. Together we can end domestic violence and break free of this cycle. Thank you.